Okay. So, one, two, three, ready, go. This is weird. This is really weird. <laughs> Take two. Welcome to the newest episode of Clubbing with Mom, a mother-daughter book club podcast. I'm Mom, Laura. And I'm daughter, Megan. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. And we wanted to let you know up front, there will be spoilers in our discussion. So if you do not want to be spoiled on this book, you should go read it and then come back and join us for our chat. Yes. Well, I was really glad when you asked me to do the podcast to start with, but really excited when you suggested specific books because um, although I was an avid reader for years and I'm, I'm hoping that's where you got it from, um, I spent a lot of time having to read for work as far as like my doctorate and having to read professional journals. And so I lost mm-hmm. the love of just reading a book just to enjoy the book. Mm -hmm. And it's been really fun to get back into doing that. And I was surprised at how quickly I read this book. Yeah. When I sat down to read it, I thought it's 300 and something pages. And I am, you know, an elementary school principal and trying to do all these other things. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought the only way I would be able to do it possibly might be um, in some kind of recorded form because I drive an hour and a half one way each way to go to work and home. But seriously, when I sat down to read it, it went so quickly. Yeah, for um, sure. And I think that that is a large part. Um, we were talking earlier about the fact that it's just the way it's constructed. It reads as if you are literally like the character B mm-hmm. in it. You are experiencing what she experienced when she got this envelope. We should probably rewind yes. and give like a summary yes. of what the book is about. There you go. But sort of also going back to your point about like having to read for various academic and professional reasons. Like I had the same experience in college where I didn't actually read that much um, for fun. And so I likewise had to sort of train myself to read for fun again. So Where'd You Go, Bernadette is about a mother and a daughter. And it's told from primarily B's perspective, but also through the voices of a lot of different characters. But it is about Bernadette, her mother, who has kind of had a little bit of like a nervous breakdown or has been having one for a number of years Mm -hmm. and has, as the result of immediate events at the start of the book, disappeared. Mm -hmm. And B is trying to figure out what happened and where she might have gone. So literally, where'd you go, Bernadette? (laughs) And I I think it's also a journey of a daughter to discover the personhood of her mother. Mm -hmm. So in that case, it's it's so much more about where not not even just where did you go physically, but Mm -hmm. but when did you stop being Bernadette? Where where did you go during this period of time that was so much of B's life Mm -hmm. that she literally didn't know who who her mother had been. 
Yeah, because she didn't know that her mother had been an architect and had won a Mark- MacArthur Genius Grant and, like, was actually kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. She, she grew up knowing her father was a big deal because her father works at Microsoft mm-hmm. and is in charge of this big, like, world-changing project. Yes. But it turns out that in the beginning, her mother was the big deal, mm-hmm. who had a big, as Bernadette says in an early part of the book, had a big, bad, horrible thing happen to her. So he's in charge of Samantha 2, which is this um, technology that will, you can transfer your thoughts to like a computer chip and control the technology around you just by thinking. So you could change the channel on the television just by thinking. Um, And he's developing it. I mean, the commercial implications are you can change the channel on the television just by thinking. But he is primarily developing it to... um, help injured vets Quadri- quadriplegics, quadriplegics paraplegics yeah um people with traumatic brain injury or anything like that to be able to people who are pretty much locked inside their bodies mm-hmm. to be able to operate their world through the mind mm-hmm. if their body i mean it could be anybody um lou gehrig's disease anybody that finds themselves like i said locked inside a body that will no longer cooperate but yeah. the mind is still very much intact yeah, and so B has grown up in a world where everyone knows who her father is and what he does, and he's sort of the rock star of the family. But before she was born, her mom was the one who was winning awards and drawing attention, and and she's actually still celebrated in the architecture community, but sort of became a recluse after the big, bad, terrible thing. And all, and all B really has known of her mother is the the craziness the the mm-hmm. weirdness of her mother the the eccentricity the, yes the you know like she talks about um you know driving along with her in the back seat and she's screaming at other drivers and cursing at them and um but yet she doesn't she's, like people very much <laughs> yeah but you know and and complains about where they live which is Seattle which as most people know rains constantly so even where they live is is like raining on her literally mm-hmm. and metaphorically. She's just, she's at a point in her life, Bernadette is, where she is just angry with the world mm-hmm. for letting her down. And I think she's also angry with herself for mm-hmm. letting herself get so let down. And also because she realizes that she made some pretty silly decisions. So, like, I, she she knows that... Okay, so the big bad thing that happened was that she was building this amazing house that won her the MacArthur Genius Grant. It was called the 20 Mile House. And the idea was that she, as sort of a pioneer of the green architecture movement, was building a house that all the materials for it could be found within 20 miles. Had to be found. Had to be found within 20 miles of... Where the, the house building site, built. and so um, she was working on this house, and her, n- who ended up being her neighbor, was this like Hollywood producer guy who built like, in her opinion, a tasteless, just a giant mansion house that she completely hated, and she ended up like, basically getting into like a war, a turf war with mm-hmm. his business manager. Was that the one? It was really with him through his business manager, I think. Um, I think his business manager was the Nigel guy, and he's the one who was Nigel something. He was British, or was that the producer? Brit- Nigel was the producer. Okay. It was the um, it w- well, her realtor ended up selling her out by On allowing accident, Nigel though, to buy the twenty mile house and then tore it down. Yeah, um, and which and it's it's one of the Bernadette reminds me a lot of people I've known in my life in that when they become 
so caught up in what they're doing in the just fixated the the righteousness if you will mm-hmm. of their pursuit they become so tunnel visioned and then they don't understand why you don't why everybody doesn't feel the same way that they do so when she started doing things like he his his contractor would throw things away and she would just take them mm-hmm. and use them without even asking yeah um which is what started their little turf war as you called it um she couldn't understand why he was mad at her for using something that he threw away. But then again, she took something that wasn't hers. Mm-hmm. So she she would get so fixated that her her personal her interpersonal communication skills <laughs> are somewhat lacking, um, is to put it mildly. And she could not understand how she, for lack of a better term, I don't know if I can say this on the would piss people off. Yeah, um, she didn't understand that she because to her it wasn't about talking it was about the work Mm -hmm. and that's what you should focus on and who cares whether you like me or not it's the work and you should you should just see this work that i'm doing and worship it and it's and not everybody felt that way but also she just like flat out didn't like him Mm -hmm. like based on the house that was being built even before she ever met him well she just just like this person obviously has no taste yes she judged people on their work just like she felt they should judge her on hers Mm -hmm. and because that's that was what meant something to her was the work and to her the work for him was the house he was building yeah even though to him the house he was building was just a house his work was actually producing shows or whatever which she thought was nonsense too Mm -hmm. so yeah she judged his people on one plane and and it was not it was not an interpersonal plane yeah and she didn't come to that realization until the end of the book yeah which is really interesting I think she sort of has been having that realization for a number of years because I think she mentions that in her letter to Paul Jelnick mm-hmm. is that she had realized she had come to terms with or had come to accept and well not accept, but she had come to realize her part yes. in the destruction of the 20 mile house. And that was part of what was so heartbreaking to her was that she knew that uh, on some level she had caused that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but she couldn't face it, so she ran the away same, from it. Exactly, she ran away from it, and then she had the same sort of dynamic with the other mothers at B school. Mm-hmm. So the character of Audrey mm-hmm. and um, Sue Lynn, who mm-hmm. are two of the other mothers at uh, B school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audrey is, I think, B, uh, Bernadette's primary antagonist oh, at the school yes. and she Nemesis. is just oh. horrible in the beginning of the book she is everything that you would think of when you see one of those movies about the overbearing she would almost be if if you could transplant her she would be a perfect beverly hills mm-hmm. mother you know just yeah yeah, just one of those moms who like totally can't see faults in her own, in herself, or in her own kid, or, or like, if if she can see them, she refuses to acknowledge them, like almost to the point of like delusion. Oh yeah, everything must be perfect. Mm-hmm. Everything about her house, everything about her her child, to the point where she's going to paint it. You know, like she would be the type that would go out and paint her grass green. Mm-hmm. Just because it needed to be green because they're having pictures. You know what I mean? Just yeah. that. And she paints her life a certain way. Mm-hmm. And just in the irony of it is that she is very much like Bernadette. Yeah. And that's the other thing that I really liked about this book is that, yeah, Bernadette is having a breakdown. But also every other character is having some kind yes. of breakdown. Yes. 
So, like, Audrey has her own, like, delusions about her life and her kid. And she keeps getting told by the principal of the school that her kid is selling drugs and a (laughs) drug addict. And she's just, you know, completely denying it. Oh, until she yeah. is literally like in the room with him and other drugs. Well, drug and she's not only denying it; she's challenging everybody else around her. I mean, she's not just quietly going away and saying, "Oh, that's not true." She's just she's going after anybody who dares to say that her view of the world is wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I think I think the more that I found out about Audrey's family life, the more the eccentricity about the whole blackberry bushes made sense. As somebody who's had the life experiences that I have had, you know, divorce and and raising two children, I can see that. It's like if you can't control the big things in your life, then you want to control the little things, the little stupid things that Mm -hmm. you should be able to control. And for her, it was these damn blackberry bushes that ended up that when she finally had them removed, that was the thing keeping the hill out of her house, yeah. literally. So, yeah, it was. That's that's a whole other metaphor yeah. in, in life. Is that oftentimes we, the one thing that we think is causing the worst thing in our life is actually preventing the worst thing in our life from happening, which is ironic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she seems to, Maria Simple, the author, really weaves these things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had mentioned nicely. the way that it's constructed. And I think maybe we could talk about that. This seems like a good segue into that. Mm-hmm. The way the book is structured is not in a typical third or first person narrative. Mm-hmm. It's actually told through various documents, mm-hmm. and you you learn about three quarters of the way through the book that it's told this way because B has been sent basically a dossier <laughs> of yes. documents that have painted a picture of the events mm-hmm. that lead to her mother disappearing, and so it's emails between her father and uh, Sue Lin, who we mentioned, who is Audrey's friend and also works at Microsoft with is his her administrative father. assistant. So between her father and Sue Lin and Audrey and Sue Lin and Audrey and her mom and her mom and quote Manjula end quote who turns out to be a Russian mafia operative <laughs> who has been posing as a virtual assistant from India. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Bernadette has just turned over all of their identifying yep. information to him because in her desperation to stay out, like, removed from the world and from people and from having to interact with anyone, she has sought out a virtual assistant to organize her life. Which, again, goes back to that whole pr- premise that Bernadette judges people by their work. She really didn't want to know who this person was. Mm-hmm. She just blindly trusted the job title that they had. And as long as this person was doing the work that she wanted this person to do, she really didn't care until the FBI stepped at the door and she went, oh no, she really had no desire to even check and make sure that this person was who they said they were. Yeah. And I think it's also, she had gotten pretty reckless with pretty Mm -hmm. much all areas of her life. Like they were living in a disintegrating Mm -hmm. building. And so like, yeah, she had just broken down to the point where she was so, she just, became oblivious to yes. sort of consequences. Mm-hmm. And the, the irony of it is that in her mind, it all made sense. Mm-hmm. To see it from the outside, she looked like a crazy bag lady falling asleep in the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Um, just weird. Like you said, the house that they're living in, literally things are growing through the floor. Yeah. 
There are rooms that the ceilings fell in on. And then that's why it's so brilliant that parts of this book are from her point of view. Yes. Because without that, you would be like, yeah, this this girl, this poor girl had a crazy mom who yes. disappeared. And you would have no way of knowing that actually Bernadette was relatively sane. Mm-hmm. She was just processing some things really poorly. Yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, I think that that's sort of the, the genius behind the way this book is told. Because, yeah, it is the story of a daughter looking for and finding on different levels her mother. Mm-hmm. But you have to be able to know Bernadette's point of view mm-hmm. in order for it to really make any kind of sense. Well, yeah, and, and it was really Bernadette's way of trying to find herself, too. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe it appeals to the historian in me as well in, in that... It would be as if we were on an archaeological dig and we found a box of old letters mm-hmm. from two people who had had whatever kind of relationship. This book has that same quality mm. of communication. communication. From a it's, it's it's people's raw thoughts um, with with actually very little interjected in between. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's here's my thought and here's how I saw that that incident that happened. And here it is from another person's point of view. Same yeah. in, same incident. And through those two forms of communication, you, we, the, the reader, are able to put together our own picture mm. of almost like seeing the same accident from two different witness statements. Yeah. Getting to see what, what possibly happened yeah. and the reality of it. And come to our own conclusions in some cases, which is nice. It's, sometimes books can be very so literal and so lead you right down that pathway yeah. that, that before it ends, you're like, oh, okay, I know. I know exactly how this, you know, it's so formulaic yeah. in a way. But I was saying right but up until is... page 260 or mm-hmm. whatever, I yep. didn't know how it was going to end. I could see a couple different mm-hmm. options. And then the way that it did end, I don't think I expected. It was very surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, so she... They were planning a family trip to Antarctica, which is why Bernadette had hired Manjula, mm-hmm. was to orchestrate that whole thing. And that's how Manjula ended up with all of their uh, identifying information, because she had to get passports, and she, quote-unquote, had to get passports and plane tickets and such mm-hmm. and such. And so after uh, her father has found out that Manjula is actually Russian mafia, and Bernadette has been just completely reckless with... Yes various aspects of their lives he has become increasingly worried about her state of mind and decides to confront her with the help of Sulin, the admin and a psychiatrist they're going to have an intervention and that is sort of the inciting incident for bernadette's disappearance she flees from it's, the it, yeah it's the intervention the, the crisis moment that yeah. everything's been building to and so she it turns out actually went on their trip to antarctica they believe to escape them. Eventually, they receive word that she had disappeared from the ship, and basically everyone believed that she had fallen overboard and... Or thrown herself overboard. Or thrown herself overboard, and B refused to accept this, and she convinces her dad to take her on their trip as well. Mm -hmm. And she's going to try and find her. And even up until that moment, I wasn't sure whether or not she was actually going to find her or if it was going to turn out she actually, that Bernadette had fallen Mm -hmm. overboard or had actually like killed herself. But then it turns out that she had stowed away aboard a scientific vessel and found passage to like one of three stations on Antarctica and has like thrown her hat in the ring to design a new building. 
yeah, to design the new South Pole station mm-hmm. and has found like renewed interest in life. And she discovered herself in yeah. this, this journey that she had been fearing because she didn't like to travel and mm-hmm. she um, didn't want to heard, be trapped on a boat with people. <laughs> felt claustrophobic doing that and then had heard because the, the waterways there were so treacherous that seasickness and all of that, she just was dreading every every step of just the thought of this journey mm-hmm. became her salvation is another it's literal but it's, it's also metaphorical you know the thing about the very thing that we think is the most horrible thing that will ever happen to us is actually going through that and gives you the strength mm-hmm. and and at the end of the journey you find something that you don't expect from yourself Mm-hmm. or from your surroundings. And, you know, I mean, when she got to Antarctica, she fell in love with how it was there and how, how it affected her. And, and then she was completely shocked by that as much or more than, than anybody else would have been. That mm-hmm. Here she was, this person that, um, you know, moving, moving to Seattle was slow. Antarctica is like stopped and then going in <laughs> reverse, you know, but she found it so incredibly peaceful that she wasn't alone with her thoughts. She was just, she could just be. She didn't even need to have thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like she said, for once, she wasn't thinking about anyone, even herself. She had become so incredibly narcissistic mm-hmm. without realizing it. Um, and I, I think that that's, that's true for a lot of women, especially. And it's ironic because here we are in 2016 still talking about this kind of thing. But, but it is true that as women, our roles are so incredibly complex in the world. Mm. And and large part of it is because we can bear children. We hold the weight of the future of the human race. <laughs> no I mean, pressure. Seriously, no pressure there. <laughs> but we do. I mean, if if women decided tomorrow we as a as a sex we were never going to have children again the human race would cease to exist mm-hmm. men could decide and we would just find another way but we literally hold it in in us to do that mm-hmm. and yet we still have the same motivations and dreams and desires to create and to to impact the world that men do mm-hmm. but there's a there's a point in our lives where that almost has to be put aside so we can do the other. And then how do you pick it back up again? How do you, how do you find yourself? And that's one of the parts in the book, too, that, that we haven't discussed a whole lot, is the fact that she had so many miscarriages before she finally had the baby yeah. that survived but had the heart issue. And it sort of compounded her sense of failure from the yes. house because she talks about how everything I create is destroyed. Oh, or it everything ultimately I, dies or, yeah. or is gone. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't ever live on like I envisioned it living on. And so she has the trauma of the house being destroyed out from under her, followed by the trauma of several miscarriages. And it's interesting, too, that she runs away to Seattle in an effort to not deal with the tragedy of her work being destroyed. And then they, I mean, I don't know if they talked about how long after moving to Seattle they started trying to have children, but I feel like maybe that was her way of, like, trying to escape. Well, not escape, but, like, just start creating again. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, like, creating differently. Like, sort of, like, children became, like, a like a plan B. Like yes. A, yes. The like house I didn't work out. That created Yeah, the architecture out, so thing isn't working out. Else. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. then that wasn't working out for her either. Mm-hmm. And so I think it just compounded her sense of failure as a human being, as a creator, as a woman, as, like... <laughs> 
And this might sound a little strange, but I can totally relate to this, is that, okay, so I'm not allowed to be happy. Mm -hmm. Being happy is just not in the cards for me. Yeah. So therefore, that's just how I'm going to approach life then. I'm not allowed to be happy. So I'm going to stop looking for being happy. And and it's a, it's a very defeated outlook. Mm-hmm. And from that defeated outlook comes that anger of, I'm not allowed to be happy, but everybody else is allowed to be happy. So I'm going to be mad at all the people that are allowed to be happy when I'm not allowed to be happy. And so there's that anger that, again, the world somehow has stacked everything against her. And so she feels like she doesn't owe the world anything. The world owes her. And, you know, if they're not happy with how she does things, then they can just all and die. Um, I don't even know if she feels like, I don't think I got the sense that she felt like the world owed her anything so much as she was just done with the world. Yes. She was like, you know, this, this world keeps screwing me over. So I'm just going to like disconnect from it. And I don't, and then also like from her disconnected perch, she like was also judging. (laughs) But that's what I mean. I I guess that that's where I I felt like it's kind of that I'm going to disconnect, but not really disconnect. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, because she couldn't fully disconnect because she finally yes. had B. Right. So there was a right. there was like reasons mm-hmm. that she had to be in the world, but the but. world owed her its sympathy to her, and it wasn't giving her that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what she what angered her too. The the world owed her understanding why she was the way she was, and yet the world didn't realize it owed her that. And and it's weird because Chris and I were talking about this the other day. My my husband mm-hmm. um, is that as parents, we have a certain, we have our own background. Like I, I got my first job when I was 13 because I paid the gas bill because that's my family dynamic. So I was determined that when I had children, they were going to have a childhood that I felt I got cheated out of. And then when I provided that for you, there were times when I thought, God, they don't even appreciate it. And then I had to think to myself, well, it's because you didn't have the upbringing I had <laughs> to know to appreciate this. You know, mm-hmm. Bernadette treats the world that way. You know, why don't you understand me? Why don't, why, why are you nits the way you are towards me? And why, why do you value these things that don't mean anything? And her judgmental attitudes towards looking at the other mothers and, but at the same time, desperately wanting to be a part of it, just wanting to be accepted Mm-hmm. And in a way, comforted, validated, but being brick- prickly at the same time. And when, when Audrey, strangely enough, finally came to terms with her own life and realized the truth of her son mm-hmm. and how the facade of everything <laughs> that she had broke is when she realized how Bernadette felt. Well, and then she also realized like what her actions had done. Yeah, she realized that she had actually impacted another like human being, not just the idea of this woman that she just really didn't like. Yes. Like she had sort of also created a yes. version of Bernadette in her head. Yes. And that then, served her purpose and she realized Bernadette had done the same. Yeah. And so then she she had gained access to the dossier, the FBI file on Bernadette and Manjula, and she reads it and she realizes that her, that Bernadette's husband was planning to send Bernadette to a mental hospital, and the, like, crux of his proof that she was a danger to herself and others was that she had quote-unquote run over Audrey's foot in the parking lot, but that hadn't happened. She made it up, and she even went to the emergency room and, like, demanded x-rays and, like, Vicodin and all this nonsense for nothing. And uh, she realized that that action was about to have this hugely negative consequence on another family. And that that was her sort of come-to-Jesus moment 
of, you know, oh crap, I need to take responsibility for myself. And then she goes to Bernadette's house and um, actually helps her escape <laughs> initially mm-hmm. from the intervention. And then ultimately she is the one who sends the the full file to B. And that's how we come to have been reading the story. Audrey had lost everything as well. I mean, her mm-hmm. house literally was filled with the mud from the hillside from Bernadette's house. Her husband had left her. They moved in with Sulin, um, even though Sulin didn't really want her. <laughs> no. So, and then you know, then she finds out who her son really is. So she finds out about Kyle before she moves in with Sue Lin, actually, because they he's having a party in the hotel where mm-hmm. they are living after the mudslide. And she has sort of a mini breakdown there. And then they move in with Sue Lin, and her husband refuses to move out of the hotel and move into Sue Lin's house with them. And then she finds the file while she's living in Sulin's house. Because mm-hmm. Sulin has it because she's holding on to it for Bernadette's husband. Because they have been becoming increasingly close, which is another thing we haven't really talked about was the fact that... And that's... And the end of the book never really addresses the fact that uh, Bernadette's husband has slept with his admin and she's pregnant with his child. Like, how... How did that affect yeah, Bernadette is and that gonna... relationship? Well, but you do get the feeling at the end when she says, you know, either she's he, like determined he either to kicks her out or yeah. I will kind of thing. I think this is interesting to the the one paragraph where Audrey really changes. Mm-hmm. My sworn enemy was being sent away to a mental institution. It it should have been cause for celebration. Instead, I sat on the hall bench, my whole body quivering. Everything fell away but the truth. Bernadette never ran over my foot. I faked the whole thing. The mudslide, Bernadette removed the blackberries exactly as I asked her to do. A full hour must have passed. I didn't move. I just breathed and stared at the floor. I wish the camera had been trained on me because it would have shown what it looks like for a woman to be awakened to the truth. The truth, my lies and exaggerations would be responsible for a mother being locked up. So she realized that she also, in her her desire to create the world that she wanted it to be, and Bernadette not following along with that, yeah, and her being able to channel all her anger in her about her life towards Bernadette, like Bernadette was channeling it towards all of Seattle, (laughs) (laughs) had created an instant where she had played a part in destroying this this other family, possibly. Mm -hmm. And that's where she realized she had gone too far with it. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that was... It it really is a lot about an awareness of of women at a certain point in their lives, which is... It's strange. There's a lot more to it than you think there would be. Mm -hmm. Like, I was saying, it reads... It's a thoroughly entertaining book, Mm -hmm. but it's also well-constructed and complex. Mm -hmm. And those two things don't always happen in the same book. I Mm -hmm. feel like sometimes well-constructed and complex doesn't always mean a super entertaining read. Like, those are the ones that feel important and Mm -hmm. literary. And then anything that feels entertaining nine times out of ten is maybe the the writing is not so good, but the plot is really great, you know? Mm-hmm. Or the characters aren't super well-developed, but it was really fun to read anyway, so mm-hmm. who really cares? Right. But this was fun to read, and you could probably read it three or four times and, like, keep unpacking things. Well, I mean, even the more that we talk about it, 
Yeah. The more that you, I, I have come to realize that there are some really deep things in here. I mean, the fact that even as a grown woman, there's parts of me that acts childish at times. And I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I have mm-hmm. to, I have to, to remember that, you know, I'm the adult. Torch. You have to torch yourself. There you go. Time out reality I check. <laughs> Seriously. Which is Sue Lin's thing. She's a member of the VAV, the Victims Against Victimhood, because apparently she had... Uh, an abusive husband but we don't even really know because she seems like she's the kind of person to claim the mantle of victim without having really earned it yeah i think she she's the type of person that likes to join a cause yeah Um, and she's i mean she's like audrey in a lot of ways mm -hmm. that she's constructed a narrative of herself and her life and so her her first marriage didn't work out and so i think she sort of decided that Mm -hmm she was victimized by her husband on some level. And so she has joined this club and they have all of these acronyms, acronyms and catchphrases and such. And, uh, that's, that was sort of her into, to Elgi, who is Bernadette's husband is that he starts to talk to her about Bernadette and her actions. And she sort of leaps into her savior, like club speak. And, uh, and, yeah, yeah. It's almost like somebody who's a part of um, AA or, or you know, they're except that like it becomes like a church. Yeah, but they're not even like really doing it the way you're supposed to mm-hmm. because she's not actually trying to help Elgi. She's she even herself at one point finally admits that she was preying on a vulnerable person. She sort of sensed an opening mm-hmm. and like and a, and a chance to make herself more important than she actually was mm-hmm. and sort of inserted herself where she really didn't belong in many ways, <laughs> <laughs> including sleeping with and becoming pregnant by this other woman's husband. Yeah, that that part of the storyline was kind of... Yeah, I didn't quite understand why yeah, that. Yeah, that kind of jumped the shark and a it little. And it never gets it fully never addressed. It never plays itself out, yeah. It's just sort of, okay, there it is. Yeah, like we don't get to know what Bernadette thinks about the fact mm-hmm. that... We don't actually get to know if Bernadette finds out or how she finds out or... We kind of assume she does, I think, because I'm sure that, um, that B would have told her at some point. I can't imagine or that the she Elgie would not even have. Would have yeah, told her. exactly. They or, probably you know, both would have told her. I mean, because when she comes back, which she's intending to do, it's going to be painfully obvious. Mm-hmm. I, I think I get the impression that she does know, and that she's going to, you know, that she has come to terms with the fact that she had a part in pushing him that direction. Yeah. As well, because she wasn't available to her husband in many different ways. I don't know. That that is. I I mean I I understand the author putting in there that he would have slept with her. The mm-hmm. whole pregnancy thing though is is kind of odd. Yeah. Why there had to be a pregnancy from it? Like I don't see how that forwarded the plot. I mean, B was already angry with her dad even before she found out about the baby, so that really didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I think that's one thing that I probably... And that's like the one thing in here that you could take it out and nothing would change. It would not change the story at all. Yeah. At all. Yeah. Except that Sulin would be like a little bit less of a player. Well, not not necessarily. Because she still could have... Like you said, she inserted herself Mm -hmm. into his life. I mean, like after, after the fact. Like she... After the failed intervention, I think she probably would have faded to the background a lot faster maybe so or she might have still you know wanted to support him and you know insisted on going with him to do all these things so he wouldn't be by himself true i could see her still doing that 
in an effort to show that things are still okay but even then, after they've been physical, it's going to be okay. But we gotten that really great frantic email from her in the internet cafe in Argentina where the keyboard with the B's and the P's switched, <laughs> where she kept saying she was pregnant with his baby. <laughs> I laughed so loud. That's true. I was true. reading it in the kitchen while I was cooking dinner, mm-hmm. and I kept laughing, and Olin was like, what? My fiancé was like, mm-hmm. what are you doing? <laughs> I had to, I had to like, stop and tell him, like, basically explain what was happening and then, like, read him lines from Mm -hmm. the... It was so great. Yeah, but it was was the part that it's like it it needed to either resolve itself or why is it there? Yeah. Except for that one, you know, to give you that chuckle, why was it there? I mean, I guess if you want to say, like, in this book, everyone's actions have consequences. Mm -hmm. Like, long-lasting... Far-reaching. Far-reaching consequences. So I guess if you want to say, like, maybe that was his, like, biggest consequence, because Bernadette comes back pretty fiercely dedicated to, like, forgiving and moving on. So maybe it would have seemed too much, like, he got off sort of scot-free without it, but... Yeah, but it seems like that baby is going to be paying some consequences. I would have been... I would have... I would have interrogated that a little bit more if I had, like... And also, like, they slept together one time. Like, how often does one time... And really? That, yeah. Especially but, at that age. And and I would have thought that that would have upset Bernadette even more so because yeah, of all the miscarriages exactly. that she had. Exactly. And here, you know, one time, oh my God. So to me, that, that would have been like the death knell, I would have thought, yeah. of their relationship. So yeah, it just, it, it seemed out of, out of sync mm-hmm. with the rest of the book. I agree. Yeah, that would be the one thing I would change with it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there's, there was a lot of pretty deep stuff in there. Yeah. But really, really, really well done. I agree. I'm glad I read it. Me too. Thank I you feel for like the I suggestion. wanna reread it. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe at some point, yeah. Or like listen to the audiobook. Except that I feel like maybe this would make a really bad audiobook what it, with all the emails and stuff. Yeah, it would be a little fragmented. But I think it will be interesting for you to, to wait a few years and if and when you do have children of your own to read it again in a different context. Mm-hmm. Because um, it definitely does take on a different one when you reach a different point in your life, or even if you don't become a mother, but you know when you get to be my age, looking back and reading it again and realizing that you spend your life in a in a loop of growing up. Yeah, um, which you, is really frustrating. I was really hoping that it just you get to a certain point and you know what you're doing. Uh huh. It's no. really it's it's heartbreaking <laughs> to have that moment where you're like, oh crap! You mean this is it? Like, yeah. yeah. I am always gonna feel like I don't know what's happening. Yes. And you're forever going to be inventing and reinventing and and reacting and and planning it's what makes life exciting but it's also what makes it stressful stressful it's true <laughs> and it leads you open to disappointment mm-hmm. but it also leads you open to fantastic journeys i mean just like her going to antarctica was something she had never thought she would ever do and she ended up through all these circumstances actually doing it i think of my own life in these last three, four years has taken such a change that I would never have predicted a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, school do you time. Hear birds? I do. Like ducks quacking. Um, where did that come from? I don't know where to go, Bernadette. Are there, are there <laughs> ducks in my house? I know, seriously. Okay. <laughs> Is that Tucker? Uh, was Tucker quacking? Tucker's quacking. Tucker's a Yorkie. Mm. Um, I think I, it would be interesting to read it from the other 
perspective because I know as a as a daughter, I am always fascinated with stories of the moment in which you realize your parents are people. Mm. Parents don't like grow out of the ground <laughs> in a pod. Yeah. Yes, because it's a really weird moment. Uh-huh. It is. <laughs> so that's I'm always true. fascinated with those stories, and so it would be interesting to sort of get on the other side of it and like find out what it's like to have someone have that moment about you, like of mm-hmm. realizing, oh yeah, you're a person. Uh huh. I remember when you first realized I had another name besides mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why? Why are they calling you that? Why are they calling you Laura? Because that's my name. <laughs> It is? <laughs> what do you mean that's yeah, your name? Your is, name is your mom. Your name is mom. No, I have another name. Why do you have another name? <laughs> I don't have another name. It was funny. Sort of along the lines of when it was Megan Joy Rynot, <laughs> Mama Joy Rynot, Nana Joy Rynot. <laughs> yep. It was very cute. But yeah, there is that that moment. And I think for for B in the book, this was in a, in a lot of ways another of those moments to realize that her mother had all these deep thoughts and these deep feelings just like she did. Mm-hmm. And and the, that her mother had hopes and dreams that didn't get fulfilled and the way she children, wanted to. And, and other, other children, children that she didn't get to, to love. Yeah. And that would be tough. Yeah. But it was really, really well done. Super so, well thank done. You. Highly, highly recommended. Yes. Highly recommended. The quote on the front of mine is from Jonathan Franzen, who's another pretty famous author. It says, I tore, th- I tore through this book with heedless pleasure. And I think that, that pretty well captures my experience. Yeah. Because I really did. Like, I think I read this whole thing in like six hours. Because you can read like 50 to 100 pages at a time and not really realize that you've read that mm-hmm. much. Yeah, I remember when I told you I'd finished, you were like, oh my god. Yeah, you read it in like a week. I know, seriously. I, Which and, is like really impressive because you like work full time. <laughs> and I didn't even sit down every day to read it. That's yeah. the thing. Is like you said, you, you sit down thinking, okay, I'll read a few pages. And then you're like 100 pages into it going, wow. Okay, that was quick. Yeah. Because it it does leave you, lead you going, oh, okay, I'm just going to read this one other thing here. Yeah. Just one more, just one more, just one more. And <laughs> you find you, and it's divided into sections, which makes it really nice too. So yeah. you, you can just read that section That's and then true. go on to the next one, which is nice, nicely done as well. So well, well organized, well constructed, well written. Well done, Maria Simple. Yay. Yay. Good job. It'd be interesting to see if there are other books that she's... Yeah, she's. it says right here, author of This One Is Mine. I definitely, yeah, it was one of those books that you finish it and then you're like, what else has this author written? Yeah, and I wonder if if the other books are written in this format and if so, if it would become old. Like, is this this the way it is because it is so unique? I don't think... I don't know. It seems like the kind of thing that you would just do the one time. Uh So I imagine her first book is probably something different. Yeah. Which makes me wonder if I would like it as much, exactly. or if I liked this as much as I did because of mm-hmm. the story coupled with how it was constructed. But this book I liked. I really did. Me so too. It'll be interesting to see what we choose next. Well, thank you for doing clubbing with your mom. My pleasure. It's fun to club with you. It was. I can't wait till we club again. Me too. <laughs> it's almost like cocktails, you know? Almost, except for with no cocktails. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like 11 o'clock. We could have had a cocktail again. Okay, cool. I'm turning it off now.